So yeah, Ace, man, it's it's great to have you back on the We Going In Presents podcast. And you know, you're on tour right now with a with a West Coast um, stop. You know, going through California, Arizona. You know, how's it? How's the tour going so far? Yeah, it's going well. We have two two shows in L.A. was super dope club club a club atmosphere, um, but they had a they had a really good turnout, and I was really kind of surprised at the audience because. Most times when I do shows in LA, I get like the 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 radio crowd. I like to call them the ones that kind of only know Born to Roll, Inc. Rise, sitting on Chrome, but not but aren't as familiar with the album work that came after those songs. Um, but this audience was different. They were like real true heads. They were actually more rocking with the Disposable Arts, Long Hot Summer, Son of Yvonne catalog than the hits the quote-unquote hits um they knew the words to songs that you know there was a girl in the front row that knew the words to damn near every song i was like wow a female that don't happen often that's like every blue moon i get a female audience member that knows like i ain't talking about radio records i'm talking about like album cuts like she knew everything so that was that felt good that was good because sometimes i start thinking like that I'm only out here because of these records, these songs, and nobody's really familiar with the rest of the catalog. But that night in L.A. was it was clear that I was that was not the case. And then Phoenix, that was a different kind of a show because it was at a store, and you know, I guess like almost like a grand opening kind of thing, not like a real club. So it's not dark. It's, the lights are on. You know, people are in the back shopping, but we still were able to make have have fun have fun with it man that, that's incredible and, and you know just thinking about you know being at the show in garden grove at the garden amp you know i see the energy you bring on stage the the way that you really engage the crowd i mean how much work goes into really prepping your performance uh, quite quite a bit of work because we do a lot of rehearsing um i i de- i demand i demand rehearsals um, which you know Marco was cool with I go to his crib we sit down um, we go through the entire set we create the files that the special files that I that I need because it's not just the songs there's a lot of special files because I'm using different you know instrumentals interludes things of that nature so we're always adding to it and I would say every three or so years I do a complete overhaul of the show because I get bored and I don't want to get bored, so I, it's, it's a way. It's a way to keep myself on my toes. So I just do a total new overhaul, new intro, new first song, new opening. You know, opening song, new, new order, new, new way to do certain songs. I might do it. Put, put a beat change up in there that wasn't in there before. Um, I just try to mix it up. I just try to mix it up. So right now, we're what this tour is that we're on now is us kind of like working out the new show which will which will be ready when the new album drops me and marco marco's new album so i'm that, working on that right now that's amazing i mean and, and because you have such an expansive discography i mean how do you how do you really pick and choose to really represent all those different songs and eras of your career so it, it, it's a little bit of um just kind of like my experience of doing shows and what shows get what songs excuse me 
which songs get reactions most of the time. Then the next factor is songs that I really like to do um, for whatever reason. Maybe I like the crowd participation on a particular song, so I want to do that song. And then, um, and then we have that segment in our show where we take requests. And what I like about that is it makes it makes every single show every night different because some people yell at the same stuff, but every now and then somebody yell, yells out something that I haven't performed in a while, and I'm like, oh, okay, I, I haven't done that song in a minute. Let's try that one. Um, so it it gives the audience the opportunity to kind of feel like they're a part of it. And um, inevitably, after we do a show, we go over to the to the uh, merch table to do like kind of like meet and greet situation. And somebody comes up and says, why didn't you do such and such and such song? And I'm like, oh, okay. I, I mean, if I had known, maybe I would have done it. Um, so that having those requests, that request part of the show is, is a way for me to eliminate those questions at the, at the merch table afterwards. It's like, man, you did, you should have came. You didn't say nothing. You you was in the back yelling. I couldn't hear you. You should have came to the front. Yeah, you got to move up. You got to move up. Yeah, yeah. It, what's incredible about that, too, is, like, do you have all of your songs that you've ever recorded memorized? Because I, I know some artists are like, you know, I have to kind of go back. I have to, you know, rehearse, you know, just practice and practice because I haven't, you know, heard this song in a while. I haven't done this song in a while. But it seems like you could really do any song in your catalog, you know. Not any. Not any. I mean, my goal is to make it appear that way, but believe me, people were yelling out stuff that on no in no way, shape or form would I even remember the first line of. And I, I just skip over those requests. Now, I don't know every single song. The rule of thumb with me is if I've performed the song ten times, like throughout the years, if I've performed the song around ten times it usually stays locked in, mm. but it, it's the it's the re, the repetitive re, performing it in front of people. What, I feel like once I've done it enough times, I just lock in. As long as I'm focused, like that's why I don't drink before shows and nothing like that. Like I, back in the days, I did that stuff, and and you 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 when you drink and you when you you know slightly altered, your brain is doing other stuff instead of focusing on what it has to focus on, which are the words, and you'll you'll inevitably you'll miss a cue or miss a line or just completely forget a line and just can't find it. So I stay away from that kind of stuff before shows and it keeps me that, that and I stay sharp because of that. Mm. So, um, but my mind, when you see, when I'm up there performing, my mind is working a mile a minute. I'm, I'm performing the song almost off of uh, muscle memory because I've done the song so many times and I'm and while I'm performing the song I'm thinking about the next song the next transition um this I just saw a person that I invited that I didn't know was here I I got to make sure I remember to acknowledge them at the end of the song like I'm all of these things are running through my head while I'm in the midst of rapping and um yeah that's that's just a, something that I've developed over the last 20 years Man, if they were to test your working memory, it would be like off the charts. That's a lot of stuff to keep track of, like at one time. It is. It is a lot, um, and I think it's good to keep my brain active and working like that. Um, and 
if there's ever any deficiency in that in that ability, I'm going to notice it right away. And I'll be like, hey, maybe I need to go to the doc, see the doctor, or maybe I need to take some vitamins or something because this never happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I have that, that, that part of my memory is pretty, is pretty impressive. I've done songs that I hadn't done in 10 years. I think, didn't I do Soda and Soap the other I, night? Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I did something that I hadn't done in like seven, eight years. And, uh, it was one of those, I wasn't, I, I was fairly, because I, I performed that song easily over the year, over 20 years, I probably performed that song 50 times. So even though I haven't performed it in eight or seven, seven or eight years, the confidence that I have in knowing that, well, I've done this song this many times, so it's going to just come back to me. And that's, and that's pretty, it was, it was literally coming back to me as I was doing it, like, the next line would just come to me as I'm saying the, the previous line. Wow. I, w- I would just kind of like, it, it, and I can't explain it, but that's how it works. That's amazing. Um, and do you feel too, like, you know, with, with how few performances there were in the past, you know, f- few years because of, of COVID that, that you and Marco just have like even an increased hunger to get on the road. I mean, do you feel like, the show is any different because of that long layover that we all experienced? Well, we had a good opportunity in 2021 to go to Europe. Um, things were still kind of sketchy in the world, but they were starting to, the, the lockdowns and things like that were starting to be lifted. And we were able to go to Europe and do a, I guess we did 12 shows or something like that. But that was after being off for an entire year and some change. But we got to go back to Europe and, and do. And, and for me, it was like, okay, it's been an entire year. Let me see where I'm at. You know, endurance-wise, everything, energy-wise, the whole the whole bit. I wanted to see where I was. And and, and it worked out. It worked out. It worked out. I said 2021, but I believe I think it was actually 2022 when we did that run. Mm. Yeah, tw- the beginning of 2022. January, I want to say, or February. And, yep. and being on the road, too, I mean, it's, you know, talking to a lot of different artists who, you know, go on the road, like just the, the struggle of just eating healthy, staying healthy on the road, you know, how do you, how do you take that into account, you know, knowing just like what a healthy eater you are and, and how health conscious you are? Like, what do you do on the road to really maintain that, that regimen and really protect yourself? You just have to you be committed to, to it, like, you can't, I mean, I, I've been committed to, so the road doesn't affect me because I've been committed to this way of, of this way of life, this way of eating for the last 25 years. So, like, just because I'm on the road doesn't mean, you know what, I'm going to have me some McDonald's because I'm on the road. No, I, I, I don't even look at those places. Like, it's not even part of my thinking. I know I'm going to find something that's healthy, and now we're in we're in kind of an era now where, just about anywhere in the world you can find a healthy option, you know, restaurant. So I I generally don't worry about not finding something to eat. Um, Pretty much anything that, any kind of place that the guys pick out um, that we're going to eat at, I'm I'm always going to find something. Um, So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really worry about it. It always works itself out. And at the end of it all, if, I don't find anything. I also bring on the road with me 
Um, I bring oatmeal and vegan protein with me. So in a pinch, I can just make me, make myself a nice bowl of oatmeal for dinner um, if I can't find anything else. And that'll give me enough, that'll give me enough protein and enough energy to get through to the next meal. That's awesome. And are you fully vegan now too? Well, I was fully vegan for 2020, 2021, 2022, I was fully vegan. Um, and then at the beginning of 2023, I decided to start eating some fish again because I found myself getting a little chubby because I was eating so much so much carbs to fill myself up on these meals. Um, I was eating way too much brown rice and pasta and bread Um Adding it, adding that to my meals, and I found myself. Just, it was it was probably a combination of eating that stuff, and then also, um, you know, not being active on the touring circuit for so long, two years almost. So um, I decided to introduce fish back into my diet. I don't eat it very. I eat it maybe a few times a month, maybe four times a month. Um, I'll have fish, and I'll be my my meals will be like a piece of. I, I prefer like a nice piece of fresh wild caught, uh, you know, um, branzino, you know, sea bass, something like that, um, with a vegetable and a salad. Mm. And, and, and I try to kind of cut back on the the rice and the starches if I can. That's amazing. And, and, and I would imagine, you know, on the road, it just takes that little extra looking that, you know, but thanks to Yelp and places yeah. like that. Exactly. Exactly. I do. I just do search healthy, healthy, healthy food, healthy restaurants near me. And something always comes up. And man, you know, standing in line, um, you know, to, to meet you at the show, um, you know, on Friday, but I'll and, and, and get some merch like and, and just say what's up. It's like it's it's incredible to me to watch the line of fans that wanted to, you know, to buy something to to get a picture. Um, have you signed something? Um, you know, are you ever surprised, you know, when you're at the merch table and fans are buying all the vinyl, the shirts, like, does that ever surprise you or, you know, um, like, is that kind of something you expect? I think it surprised me at, at a certain point, um, probably in the early 2000s or mid 2000s when I first started doing that whole meet and greet thing. Um, but the European fans, you know, I did a show in Poland where it was probably 300 people around the merch table trying to trying to get an autograph or picture or buy something. So I've kind of seen some really chaotic uh, scenes like that. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. It's just a cool thing that people care that much. I feel like it's a little bit of a testament to the show that they just watched and they felt compelled to like just say hi and just say what up and just take a picture because they enjoyed themselves or they just wanted to come up and say hey that was, I, lo- I enjoyed the shows it was dope and why do you think it is that you know you have fans that are in their early 20s that know every word but you also have fans you know 40s 50s 60s who know every word like how have you been able to really you know, transcend those age age demographics in ways that, like, a lot of artists have have struggled to do. That's a really good question that I do not have an answer to, 
my only theory is because I kept releasing music. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I could come up with. I kept releasing music and it wasn't whack and people liked it. Right. And, and you know, it's crazy for me for the, to be in the industry this long, you know, almost 35 years or whatever, and for an 18, 19-year-old kid to be at my show and knowing words is baffling to me because I'm like, my my third album dropped, you were like born that year or you weren't born yet. It's crazy to me, but that, it's also cool. And it, it, it's it's encouraging. It's straight, straight up, it's encouraging. It means it's, that I'm doing the right stuff. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, going to, to other shows, you know, with artists who, um, you know, drop their music, you know, a few years before you, you, you know, the symphony and before Juice Crew really burst on the scene, it's like a lot of those hits stop at like 2002, 2005, you know, it's like that, that consistency is, is so important. I mean, is it ever a challenge to maintain that consistency year after year and really um, coming back with something new, with something fresh, you know, with, with the right production, with the right setup? It's not a challenge because I don't force it. I, I do it. I do it when it feels like I have something to say or I have an idea for a project. So it's never, I'm never in a position where I'm like, oh, I got to put something out. We got to get in the studio and find some beats and put something out because it's been, it's been three years. That's not how I work. I, I literally, Marco, we already had planned to do this follow-up album. So he was sending me beats. He was, he was emailing me beats for the last four years. That, that could that were going to potentially be on this new album and I would just take my time pick and choose the joints that I liked and you know till we got to a point where we had enough he kept even after I said okay no more beats he kept sending beats and in a lot of cases it, it, it was good that he kept sending beats because we, we would find something else after I said we were I had enough beats he would he, he sent me something else and it wound up being one of the, one of my favorite songs ever or, yeah. or or for the album for for the no for the for the album for the new album yeah mm. no that that that's amazing i mean um i'm super excited that that you're both you know collaborating for it for another album you know how how's the album sounding so far and 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 you know really what how 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 do you see this album um kind of evolving from um the brooklyn story album great question i don't know how it's going to evolve uh the album sounds really, really good. Um, the songs are really interesting and different, and they're me and they're Marco, but they don't. It doesn't sound like Brook, a Brooklyn story, but it has the same sensibilities, the same feel. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I never. When I drop a new project, I'm never in my mind anticipating what's going to happen. I, ju- I, I literally just sit back, wait and see, and pay attention and hope that people like it. And, you know, based on the few people that we've kind of played it for that are close to us, I feel confident that people are going to like this this album. And there's some songs in there that people are going to be like, oh, wow. Like, okay. Man, that, that's awesome. That before. It is certified with Coast Contra. Is that part of the album, or is that kind of like a just like a Lucy that got you know that you wanted to put out? Yeah, no, that's part of the album. That's part of the album. Yep, that's part of the album. 
what I loved about that song is I felt like I, I, you know, it's like vintage Ace, but like 2023 Ace at the same time. Like it really felt like a good, like blending of the yeah. different eras. I, I agree. I agree with that assessment. Was that intentional, or did it just come out that way? Just came out that way. That's not a beat that. First of all, Marco didn't even want, didn't even think to send me that beat. He made that beat. He was shopping some beats to some artists in Colombia, and so his his boy uh, Shiloh heard the beat that he was about to send to these this, these artists in Colombia. He was like, "Before you send that to those guys, you should send that to Ace." He's like, "Ace for this?" He's like. I don't know, man. I think you should send it to Ace first. And he did. And as soon as he sent it, I was like, oh, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, what I liked about it was it wasn't the typical beat that I would, you, would, you would think I would rhyme to. And I like a challenge. And I like beats that challenge me. And that beat, that I was like, how am I going to rhyme to this? What, what, what am I going to do? But I like that. I like having to ask that question. How am I going to rhyme to this? Because um, you get bored as a writer. You know, it's the same old beats and cadences and you you want a reason to do something different and that beat gave me a reason to do something different and it was marco's idea to to get coach contra and i'm, I'm glad he i get i'm glad he thought of it um i wouldn't have even i was thinking about artists that were kind of more from my era to feature on it um but he he had the idea of those guys because they're a younger generation but they still have the same kind of boom bap you know classic 90s hip-hop sensibilities in the way that they deliver their their lyrics so it, it it worked out really really well that's amazing i thought it was a great fit but like so i didn't hear the song until i put it on a pl on my running playlist so like i i would listen to it when i went for my run and it like i went back i was like is this ace and polo and i listened to it again and again because like this is incredible but it like you said it, it completely caught caught me off guard because i was expecting something more in like the Brooklyn Story range, and it was completely different. And I love Brooklyn Story, and I love Certified. So I think like that, but it really did throw me like the way you the way you you said. Yeah, it it, it, it I'm glad that you had that that reaction because that's the reaction I was hoping that people were gonna have. Absolutely. And and I've always been curious, you know, just when you you know EAT came out, you know, Eat with Evidence, um, produced by DJ Premier, part of the deluxe version. You know, how did that song yeah. come about with with Premier, and um, like like what what made you release it on the deluxe but not the original, or, or you know, like just how what's the story behind that? So full disclosure, that song was supposed to be part of a Brooklyn story. Okay, but um, Premier is a very busy man. And I sent him the rhyme. He liked the rhyme. And then we got evidence on the on the on the on the feature. He's like, "All right, cool." And the next step was scratches, hook, because you know we know Premier is going to do his do what he does, his magic. Um, but it timing wise, schedule wise, it, it would have we probably would have had to hold the album up for about two months, mm -hmm. and we were kind of ready to go. So we just decided instead of waiting, let's just make it part of the deluxe and people will get an extra extra bonus. But it, it was supposed to originally be on the uh, album. That's really cool. That I mean, I'm, I'm glad it came out. Um, but I've heard stories like that before where Premis just has so much on his plate. Yeah, he's a busy man. Yeah. And we understand that. 
And man, you know, when you think about this, like, you know, you, you have, you, you know, the, the, going back to delicious vinyl, working with West coast artists, like evidence coast Contra, um, even at the show, um, your delicious vinyl A&R was in the audience, which was really cool. Um, you know, yeah. you, you've always had a really cool connection with the West coast. You know, how would you describe your relationship with Southern California? Cali has been very gracious to me, um, more gracious than probably the average underground East Coast artist. Um, and it's very much appreciated because, you know, when I look at the landscape of the United States and performances and things of that nature, I feel like if I had to rely on doing shows in New York and New Jersey and Philly and, you know, D.C., the Eastern Seaboard, I wouldn't have been able to survive. Um, so L.A. has, Cali has really fed my career um, by the support that they've given, the undying support. And um, they didn't they didn't mind the fact that I wasn't from Cali. Um, they just embraced it because they liked the music, and that's what it should always be about anyway. That's really cool. And, and to have those relationships over time, I mean, how do you maintain these kinds of relationships to where – you know, you're still in touch with someone from Delicious. You know, um, you look at you and Strickland, like you guys still have a great relationship. You know, it's not easy to always maintain relationships in, in the business over a period of time, yet it seems like that's something you do really well. It's just, just, just don't be an a-hole, you know, and be be nice to people. That's, that's, it's, it's really not that, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be strange that I'm still cool with, somebody from you know from my past from a and r or whatever like that should be the norm i know sometimes artists they have negative things to say about people that work for the rate for the label and all that kind of stuff but i didn't i didn't get caught up in that because at the end of the day like i i i liked him as a person regardless of the politics of the industry and the music and all that like i didn't let any of that um you know taint my opinion of of orlando that's my God, no matter what, you know, we, we, we were cool before records and we're going to be cool after records. That's amazing. And, and just don't be an a-hole. I mean, that, that should just be a basic way of living for everybody, right? It should be, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent agree. Um, you know, you look to at the, the musical man for, for falling season and just the great reviews that it's gotten so far. I mean, that's you know just just such a great idea and and um you know how did that come about you know what was that whole process like for you process was amazing well it still is being amazing i'm still in the midst of it um but to write to take to to, to take six years to write something and for that thing that you've been writing for six years to for you to finally be able to see trained actors on stage saying those words that you wrote and, and lived with for six years, it's kind of hard to explain. Definitely a little emotional to see it, but um, the process was, it was very gradual. And, you know, I'm thankful to my dramaturge, her name is Kate Camerata, um, because she kept me on schedule in terms of the writing part. Because with my touring schedule and everything I have going on, It'd be easy for me to not not write for three months, four months, because I'm busy doing other stuff. Um, but we had a Zoom call scheduled 
once a week for the last five five years, just about. And so I knew every Wednesday or every Thursday, I had to have something new written so that we could read it and go over it. Um, and because I was forced to kind of adhere to that schedule, that's how that's really how it got written. Mm. Um, I mean, I would have eventually written it, but it might have taken ten years instead of six. So how much do you write on a daily basis and really like what's your writing process like today? You mean in terms of theater or in terms of music? In terms of anything. Um, I only, I honestly only write when the feeling strikes me. Um, a lot of times I get ideas early in the morning, six in the morning when I'm waking up. I'll lay in bed, my eyes closed, and I'll be, I'll, I'll kind of like take myself into a scene or a song, and I'll start formulating what the idea is. What, 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 what are these characters saying in this scene, or, or what is this song saying? If it's a song, then I have to have a beat involved, really. Um, so I would put a beat on. But if it's in terms of the musical, it was me, kind of just laying in bed thinking about the scene, who's in the scene, who's talking to who, what, what, are they, what does that sound like, what does that conversation sound like, and kind of coming up with that realistic, what I think to be a realistic sounding conversation. Um, and then if I, if I come up with enough lines and di of dialogue, I'll jump up at 6, 6.30, run down to my laptop, and lay that down before I forget it. Um, and that was kind of the process. That was kind of the process. That's really cool. And, and and as far as doing the musical too, being able to work side by side with your wife, I mean, that has to be a really cool experience as well. You know, how, how do you look at, you know, going from like the, you know, the house to the, um, to the stage like that? It was cool. You know what? Like some might think, you know, oh, now you got to, now you're going to work with your wife after you did with her all day. It was actually really cool. Um, we had to drive in from Jersey to Manhattan every every morning for rehearsals, which started at I want to say we started what did we started eight or eight thirty. We had to be there. Well, I had to get her there. I, I I mean, as the writer, I I wasn't on a particular timetable to be there because my work was already done. I had already written it, but I, she had to be there at the same time as all the other actors. So we would get up early in the morning, get our, get, grab our little knapsacks with our water and our snack, our lunch, whatever, and be out that door and through that tunnel and right into 42nd Street, go to the parking lot, and we would be at, at Theater Row at 8.30 when, when time to sign in. She would sign in with all the other actors and go through the process. And I would sit in the audience, and I... I didn't have, there wasn't much that I needed to say unless there was a question about a scene or about some dialogue. You know, there might be a line where I wrote it this way and an actor would say, is it okay if I say this instead of that? And th those kinds of things. Um, but generally speaking, I just kind of sat back and just marveled at our director, you know, Todd Underwood, what he what he was putting together. Because I could, I could visualize what he was putting together as he was telling them what to do. And I was like, this is going to be dope. And this was only the reading. This wasn't even like the production. This was this was actors with um, the book in their hands, 
sitting in chairs and then getting up and going over to um, stands to set the book down to read their to read their lines. But he created all of this movement, which made which made you kind of see feel like you were watching a real you know scene with a with background and everything. Um, they would move and get up and go from one stand to another, and this person would move here and move there, and they had to take notes on where to what where to stand at each each time a line was said. And all of it was just really like amazing. And for me, to see him do what he was able to do with a simple reading like that lets me know like when it's time to really, really, when it's game time and it's, and it's not a not a scrimmage, it's gonna be it's gonna be fire. Man, that's that's amazing. You know, and and looking at you know, just getting, did you get everybody involved who you wanted to? You know, like thinking about you know Nems being involved. That's incredible. I mean, did you have the team that that you wanted? And um, you know, because it, it seems like you know you, it's a really talented cast. Yeah. So two two weeks prior to rehearsals, we had auditions, and we 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 were there early in the morning, and we had all and we had a casting agent who. You know, every we, we, we looked at people every day. I think we did four total uh, auditions. And then there were callbacks from certain people d- during that time period. And um, one, one of the actors, in fact, the day of the, the final audition, because it was between him and another person, he actually was getting married that morning. Like, Well, not that morning, but that afternoon. He went straight. He was going straight from the audition to get his tuxedo put on and go to and go get married, and that was like wow, like this guy's like really committed. Wow, you know what I mean? Like, and and a lot of the people, pretty much, I should all the people that that we ended up casting are committed to this to this project, and admit the fact that they all stay in touch with each other, and they created like a WhatsApp chat with everybody from the cast in it, and you know, we've been going out to each other's events and supporting each other's events. It lets me know that they see the vision of what the project can be and they want to be a part of it uh, moving forward. That's all. And, and we, that's awesome, man. And you writing it, you know, thinking about the character Avis. I mean, how much of Avis represents your own experiences? And, and do you see yourself in Avis? There's definitely elements of of Avis's life that mirror that mirror my life um and that's on purpose you know I was gonna find um I just naturally it was gonna that was gonna kind of come out so I so I basically pulled from my life experience pulled from you know my life experiences and added elements of that to it but it's still a fictional story but I did pull from my own life to help shape the story because I had I had I have experiences that I went through so I was able to kind of add add some of my stuff to this character to, to make him feel real that's incredible man and, and and I've also enjoyed just through Instagram seeing your cycling journey um, no pun intended there just like you know the way that that you really <laughs> approach that you know like what what has that been like and 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 in terms of like just an outlet um, especially in COVID times, you know, being outside and it's one of the ways that, you know, could actually exercise in a group of people, um, like the camaraderie, yeah. the challenge, you know, everything like that. Like, what's that been like? I thought, I mean, it was amazing. And I'm glad that 
I'm glad that I discovered cycling. That's if, if, if anything positive came out of the pandemic for me, it would be that. Um, find this, you know, find this, finding this group of guys that love to, that just wanted to be outside and get exercise and not be cooped up in the house, scared. You know, we got out there on our bikes and, you know, the 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 trendsetter bike crew. Um, that's the name of the, the the bike group, the bike crew. Um, but since that since that first initial, I want to say that was 2020, 2021. It couldn't have been twenty twenty. It had to be twenty twenty one when we first started. Um, since that time, the evolution of the group is like crazy. We went from everybody when we first started. Guys were literally getting like any bike they could get their hands on, like borrowing their uncle's bike, their cousin's bike, coming out there with, you know, hybrids and dirt bikes and mountain bikes, like whatever it was, just to be riding. And then over the course of the next year, you start seeing guys upgrading their bikes, getting newer bikes, spending more money on their bikes, then getting accessories. It just started, I was like, oh, wow, this is starting to turn into a little bit more serious. And then the uniforms coming out and, Going from T-shirts and Jordans to uniforms, um, so it's been an evolution, and now we look we look like you know, look like a Tour de France team. Man, that, that's it's crazy. That's, that, that's great. You know, it's like, um, because because I feel like for running, that was my outlet during the pandemic. It's like it's the only way for me to get out of the house in like a safe way, you know. And it it was really cool to see. This, is that something that you're continuing to do too um, when you're home? Yeah, yeah. Um, so. This this has been the busiest summer in the last four, three years, four years, um, because you know obviously shows everything is kind of coming back. So I haven't been able to ride nearly as much as I was the last previous three years. Um, so I've I've ridden four times maybe, once with the crew, and then I did another time. Um, but I did another like couple rides by myself and another group ride, but. My goal was to ride as much as I rode last year, but I find myself out of town for shows, things of that nature. So, so that was that's what was like kind of holding me up um, from riding. But as soon as I get a little bit cooler weather, and I'm not busy on a particular Saturday or Sunday, I'll be out there. That's great. When when a Brooklyn story came out and we did an interview, you know, you talked about just raising your daughter and and you know, teaching her independence and now, you know, she graduates going to Penn, you know, how do you feel looking back, you know, and, and is that one of the proudest moments in your life, you know, seeing your daughter graduate and, and going to such an incredible school? Words can't describe the pride, the happiness, the adulation of this accomplishment that she's, that she's been able to, you know, complete or execute. Um, the thing about, I'm sure, because everybody says, oh, you guys, me and my wife, you guys did a great job and this and that. Um, I don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm like not getting it or, or maybe maybe it's not my way, but I, I, I totally don't credit myself or my wife as much as we credit her, as I credit her for really being the type of student that she was. Um, sure, we were on on her about academics and how important it was and helping her with homework when necessary. And I guess we were showing her what the importance of it was. But at the end of it, 
she still had to be the one to take those exams, take those tests, you know, excel the way that she excelled in the classroom. Because I'm sure we're not unusual parents. I'm sure there's tons of parents out there who help with homework, um, inspire their kids, show show how important academics is, and they don't end up at an Ivy League school. So, you know, I definitely give a lot of credit to my daughter because I, I would always tell her, like, you know, I was a pretty good student, you know, when I was in high school, but um, I, I wasn't straight A's. Like, this is crazy. Like, not one B on your entire high school transcript is bananas. Like, wow, I wasn't that. I wasn't that. So props to her. Props to her. Yes, huge congratulations. But, but word, word can't, words can't, can't, can't even can't even come close to close enough to expressing the 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 pride that we have in her accomplishment and you know we're going to support her every step of the way um through this through the rest of this journey i love the tiny desk concert you did you know what's that whole process like you know because um that's such like an intimate experience and you know you really have to pick the right songs you know so um, for them to really come off with the band that's there? Like, like how did you really prepare and, 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 and pull off that, you know, tiny desk? So I had a little head start, a little cheat sheet, if you will. Um, that band, um, Lee Hogan's and the Pursuants, I had done, I had met them and performed with them at B.B. King's. I did a night at B.B. King's. And mm-hmm. they, were the, they were the band that B.B. That King's assigned to me for that night. And I did like, uh, I did a big long rehearsal with them before the BB King show. Got to know those guys, um, and then we did another performance up at Sirius Satellite Radio around the time that I was dropping the fall season, I think it was. And so, you know, they came to Satellite Radio. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. They came to. They came up. Thank you. They met, they met me up at Sirius Satellite Radio, and we did a couple of songs on on the air. So those two, those two opportunities to 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 play with them, we got to know each other's kind of energy. We got to know which songs worked, and so when the opportunity to do Tiny Desk came up, it was like a, I didn't have to like search out a band. I just came up Lee and was like, "Yo, you guys want to do this?" He's like, "Yeah, let's do it." And um, we talked about the songs that worked best. So like I said, I had a head start. I don't know. I don't know how other people go about it if they have to kind of go out and search and recruit a, recruit a band. I, I don't know how it worked for them, but that's how it worked for me. That's really cool. Did you pick songs that you really felt would be perfor- like performance, like that would look great performance-wise, or is the, are those personal favorites or a little bit of both? Like how do, how do you pick the songs when you, when you can only pick like three songs? It was, it, was, it, was more, it was more me picking the songs that I thought were going to connect emotionally with the audience more so than anything else um the songs that that hit people because I, I realized it's an intimate setting there's a small audience of people there and i wanted to kind of do stuff that was meaningful so that's why i did son of yvonne story of me and then i did born the road because that's you know the the record that's the popular radio record i knew i had to do that but the other two songs i wanted them to be kind of emotional joints and when you look back to on, on on what you've released, especially in the past, like you know, twenty five years or so, when you when you think about different songs and, and different producers you've worked with, you know, Ninth Wonder, Marco, um, Doom, you know, did 
did you have any surprises? Did anything you released that you look back on and you're like, you were surprised it 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 did, it it connected in a certain way or people responded to it either like more positively than you thought they might or or not as positively as you thought they might. I would definitely say the Doom album because I didn't even go into that project with the intention on it being an album. I was literally going to make that a free mixtape and just kind of throw it out just as a way to have something out in between projects. Mm. Um, And because of the fact that all of those instrumentals just about had been previously released and wrapped over and people heard them all, I was like, you know, it's it's more of a mixtape. People, I'm, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to fool people or trick people into thinking this is brand new beats or whatever. But to my surprise, like people liked my versions of some of the stuff that I did, which was kind of cool. And I mean, and Son of Yvonne is one of those songs that I think so many fans connect with on a personal level, too. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And and. You know, the the other thing I just love about your music, your Instagram, um, just what you do is you're you're constantly looking to to fight stereotypes. Like for example, you posted a picture with your daughter and someone said it's it's nice to see um a black man being a father and you said it's not as common or it's not as uncommon as you would think. You know, really um clearing up stereotypes that that, that people generally just have, you know. Um how important is it for you to use all your different platforms really to to really fight against, you know, stereotypes and, 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 you know, just, you know, people having the wrong idea on things. Yeah. I mean, I don't go out of my way. Like you don't see me putting up a lot of really posts that are trying to teach people stuff. I I, I click on stuff. I share stuff with my friends, but I don't put that a lot of that stuff on my page. I try to keep my page a little bit more light and less serious and it's just more about kind of this is what i'm up to this is what i'm doing this is what's happening in my life right now just sharing it with y'all this is kind of cool check this out oh i'm going to be here performing here come through you know that's kind of what i like to use instagram in particular but twitter as well that's what i like to use it for um but you know sure within the context of people making comments on my posts or if I see other stuff on other people's posts and there's a comment or my name is mentioned, I'm going to give my opinion and speak on it. Um, and people can take it however they want to take it. I wasn't trying to get go at that person for what he wrote. I was just like, yo, like, you know, be clear. Like, this is not some unusual shit. Like, this happens every day. Right. It's happening. It's happening. It's it's happening more than it's not happening. So just, I just wanted to make that clear. And 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 you know what I, I teach teachers. You know before they uh, you know get their license and everything. And that's something that I I'm always talking to 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 new teachers about pre service teachers is the importance of having these conversations, not from that judgmental perspective of like putting someone down or like you know making them feel completely awful and destroying them for something they do but like when you're working with people who are learning it's like we're all learning you got to have those conversations but do it in a way that supports the person and their growth not like completely just destroying them publicly exactly and that's what i was trying to do 
No, I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, just, um, the incredible performance, you know, I, I know I said before the interview, but just so, so it's in the podcast, just, you know, one of the best performances shows, uh, you know, I've ever been to, and, you know, you and Marco and Strickland just did, you know, a phenomenal job. And, and I just hope that more fans get to get to catch you, whether it's on this West coast leg that you're on now or, or in the future, um, you know, gotta see, gotta see you perform live if, if fans haven't, cause, um, it's it, it it was an incredible show so i just i appreciate what you did um and just how great the show was absolutely man thank you and, and the goal is to make it even better for the next run that's awesome and, and when should we expect that marco album the the new one with you and marco so we're handing it in in the next week um once we hand it in typically it's a month to two months but it's just kind of depends I know vinyl is going to be late, but that doesn't mean that we can't drop. We can, if we hand it in this this week, we could probably get a release date in a month, so maybe October before Christmas. 